This podcast is brought to you by the Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University. Hi, everyone. I'm Bev Jones, and this is Jazzed About Work, where we talk about everything that might have an impact on your career. Today, we're chatting with Conrad Woody, a leading Washington, D.C. headhunter and an expert in career building and talent management. Conrad recruits candidates for all kinds of jobs, including in the C-suite of some of the biggest American companies. He understands that to attract job opportunities, you have to make sure that you're searchable. And his advice is that to become a top candidate, you need to keep learning, and you have to be working at full capacity And it's important that you find ways to stay deeply engaged in your current job, even if you're already thinking about your next move. Conrad's specialty is government affairs, so he'll also talk about what it takes to be a top lobbyist today and why companies are looking for candidates who are well-informed, broadly educated, and strategic thinkers. Conrad, I hear from my clients in Washington that you're a pretty much the go-to headhunter for top corporate government affairs jobs. You're really pretty well known in those circles, and I know you understand the federal arena, but you started your career on the Hill, didn't you? You know, I did, Bev. Um, I'm personally very passionate um, about politics and public service. Uh, growing up in Columbus, Ohio, uh, my father was a community advocate for the Columbus Metropolitan Community Action Organization, which really gave me a sense of how to be invested in the community. And when I came here to Washington, I was fortunate to start my career uh, in the office of Congresswoman Eleanor Holmes Dorn, uh, delegate from the District of Columbia. So you really saw uh, public service on a different scale. I think that sometimes these days we... We lose track as observers of the public service component of what's going on in Washington. But my experience is that the town is full of people who really care deeply about serving the public and um, living out their values. Do you still notice that when you're working with Hill types? Absolutely. And I think there is a a personal mission-based approach uh, the people that work on the Hill that try to serve the best interests of the constituents in the district. And uh, it's hard work. It's thankless work. Um, but I appreciate um, the great efforts um, of many of those on Capitol Hill. And so you take your experience there, and then somewhere along the line, you went off in a new direction and found yourself in a um, very... Um, big and important search firm. How did you make that shift? Well, it was interesting. Um, you know, after my you know, time on the Hill ended, I was recruited to do uh, recruiting in New York for Goldman Sachs. And I did campus recruiting and diversity recruiting, and it was a great experience uh, living in New York at that particular time, especially during the financial meltdown. And uh, when workforce was reduced uh, during that very difficult time, my only goal, bed was to get back on the Hill. Um, but a, a friend of mine who was, at the time was the chief Democratic lobbyist for Goldman had introduced me uh, to the world of executive search. And it's the perfect confluence between business 
uh, politics and public service, in my view. And so those are things I'm particularly passionate about. And it's been an interesting career thus far for the last decade. So when we started talking about doing this recording, you were a principal at Corn Ferry, which, of course, is a huge global company and a well-known, a giant in the field of leadership and career development. But then after we got the scheduled, I saw that you announced on LinkedIn that another amazing opportunity has come your way and you're moving on from that job. Now, I I know you may not be ready to to talk about uh, that, or maybe you are. I'd love to hear. But since you're an expert in career transition, could you talk a bit about how you made the decision and the kind of factors you weighed in leaving one great job to go to another? Absolutely. You know, and and it's interesting because as a recruiter, you're often asked for your advice, Beth. And uh, one thing that's personally important to me is to give the advice freely um, and without uh, hesitation, Um, and and especially in a town like Washington, where it's very transactional, uh, I believe doing good uh, is the best approach. And so I had to sort of uh, turn the the camera on myself to to really think about uh, real, what's really important to me uh, and where do I want to go and where do I want to grow uh, in my career and and and, and, and to that end um, I'm going to be starting as uh, the head of the U.S. corporate affairs practice for Audrey Burson, which is a global uh, executive search firm based in the U.K. So I'll be in Washington uh, building out the company's capabilities in government affairs, public policy. Uh, communications, public affairs, and economic development, and I'm really excited about it. It sounds like a great opportunity. When do you start? I start on December 3rd. So are you um, thinking about broadening your network? It sounds like your breadth of this job is is even wider than what you've been doing in the past. Is that right? Yeah, well, I, I, within the you know government and corporate affairs arena, you know, I've had the opportunity to advise major corporations, associations, and nonprofit on recruiting executives in all these verticals. Uh, the good thing about this particular platform is, you know, that I get to lead and build it and grow it. Um, and so, especially when advising uh, executives that are looking for the career. Uh, transition, it's important to find an opportunity where you can learn and grow. Um, And being an intentional learner is critical to success in my view. And this is a great opportunity for me to be an intentional learner and really take all those skills and experience that I learned at Corn Ferry um, and apply it in this particular position. When you're looking at candidates, I'm assuming since being a learner is something you're emphasizing, how do you spot people who come across as as committed lifelong learners? What are the characteristics you look for? Absolutely. And this this comes from years and years of doing recruiting. And so um, because uh, the practice of recruiting has such an interesting human element, uh, Bev, that it's always unpredictable. So there are a couple of things that I look for uh, with respect to you know, credentials and skills that are attractive to me and particularly my clients is are people that employ sort of a transcendent leadership approach. Now, let me explain what that means. It doesn't matter if you're the SVP of government affairs or you're a director of government affairs. There's a certain way in which you live your life and you approach your work uh, that's transcendent. And that starts, number one, with exemplary work products. So if you are 
you know, operating north of 100% BEV, you know, first, people are going to hear about it, right? And the second thing is, how intentional are you about maintaining and building your network? Um, because other people can be your best advocates. And so with respect to what I do as a recruiter, I have a number of people who I trust in the market. And I say, hey, would you have a recommendation for this particular search I'm working on? And if I hear your name in the market, it gives me an opportunity to investigate. And I think third is really, really critical is, is are you adding value beyond your job scope? You know, it's very easy, especially in a town like Washington, to come to work every day and come and just go home. But are you really operating north of 100% of capacity? Are you taking on additional projects? Did you start with a government affairs mandate and now you're a chief of staff uh, for the head of government affairs? Did you start with a particular partisan mandate? Maybe you're assigned to working uh, one particular side of the aisle. And now that you have grown, now that you're more close to the business and advising individual business leaders, on particular policy items, or have you made a pivot into, say, communications and public affairs to show that your learning agility is exceptional? And so, especially in this particular market where status quo is out the door, especially with this particular administration, boards and CEOs are looking for people that are strategic business advisors that can help accelerate market growth or help protect their corporate interests. And so those are a few things that I feel are important, especially in this particular time period. What you're describing is resonates with me because I um, often have people who approach me because they're interested in transition coaching or they want to hear about hope, how coaching could help what they're doing. And I um, sometimes sort of have to make a choice on whether or not this will feel like a good fit, and this is a, a client that I want to take on. And I, I notice that there are folks who say they want to change jobs, and they start talking about how awful their current job is, and how they're they're so negative, and they're they're kind of um, very dismissive of what they're doing. And those are not the people that are really exciting to work with. The people who I find are um, interested, interesting to work with in transitions haven't quit working at their day job, even though they're thinking about their next move. And when we start working together, what I always try to do is have um, a discussion about, okay, how can you excel? How can you build this job? How can you use this period in your career to create the skills that are going to help you in the next job. And it sounds like you're looking at the same thing. You want people who are really kicking it in what they're doing now. And those are the folks that you're going to try to convince to move on to the next thing. Is that right? Well, yes. And I'll just say with a quick edit is, you know, I have a little bit of grace because Washington, and you know this, working in this town for a long time, Beth, you know, is sort of a, a very unique ecosystem where people tell you what you should be doing. Uh, you work together for many years. It's a very social town. So whereas you start on the hill together, you go downtown, your kids are in the same school. So the information with respect to building a good career is fairly insular. So I have a little bit of grace because 
you know, being on this side of the table as a recruiter, I'm fortunate to learn what employers are looking for directly from the CEO, the general counsel, or the hiring manager. And so sometimes if someone is in an an unfortunate job situation, they may not have just come across the information they need to make a pivot. And so go back to your question. Yes. So I'm looking for the, the highest performers uh, that are focused on intentionally learning uh, that are agile, that want to add different skills that understand where the tide is going because um, government affairs, as you know, sort of resets itself every two to three years. And so uh, it's important that, you know, executives understand that you want to be sustaining and not tie your particular value to a partisan environment, uh, to a particular member or, you know, things that you've done in the past, because it's very easy to look back and say, just because I've done X, I should have Y, but proper career management is always about looking forward. And those folks are particularly more attractive to me. So, one of the things that, um, one of the words you use that we talk about all the time here on Jazz About Work is networking. And Washington, the Washington government affairs and government community is in some ways kind of provincial. It, people do stay in their lane and they tend to see the same people and they tend to um, sometimes coalesce around issues or, or sectors like, like energy and pharma and so forth. Mm-hmm. What if you feel like you want to break out, you want to go into another um, area, you want to be, you want to switch into a whole different industry. How do you start building your network and uh, preparing to, to make a shift if you're, if you're mostly seeing the, the, the same old folks all the time? How do you advise, how would you advise somebody to broaden their network and preparation for a a shift to another government affairs sector. Yeah, and and a a couple of anecdotal points is, in this particular environment, given what we've just discussed, Bev, it's not uncommon for someone to go from energy to transportation or from financial services to technology because the principle of what these boards and CEOs are looking for is what you have demonstrated as a record of accomplishment that could be transferable into our industry. So that's just number one. With respect to networking, you're right. And this is what I talk about the Washington ecosystem. It's very easy to get comfortable and just engage with the people that you already know. And so again, to think about maybe switching industries first is being an intentional learner. It goes back to that. So if you are in financial services and say you want to switch to technology, luckily within those two industries, there's a lot of overlap. So how are you making sure that you'll roll red on these particular policy issues and technology? In your day-to-day work, are there opportunities for you to demonstrate a policy expertise that can be outside of your scope. 
If not, what are you doing after work? You know, are you engaging with people in a genuine way that are different from you and learning from them about what they're doing on a day-to-day basis and understanding what the metrics of success are in a different industry. And so employing those tactics with genuine intention. And so if you are a VP of government affairs at a financial services company, it's not a bad thing to go meet your colleague in a technology company and finding a way to make that linkage genuine so you can build those relationships and learn. So when it's your time to compete, you're not coming in cold. And I'm glad you mentioned being well-read. I, I think that sometimes we get so uh, wrapped up in networking and social media that we forget that part of seeing the big picture, part of understanding the big trends in the country and seeing the direction that industries are going in is reading about what's happening, reading about things that are mm-hmm. happening outside of our daily life. And um, right. it's... People are often pretty well informed um, in the Washington scene. Do you find that that's something that uh, the companies are looking for? Well, uh, yes. Um, you know, I think sometimes the companies may believe it's understood, depending on the level of the role. Um, but I'll share with you: people do get really jazzed up about under the mental agility of someone that knows a lot of different things, especially in disruptive technologies, when the institutional knowledge is very light. So being able to have demonstrated experience and interest and knowledge of a number of things shows that you keep up with the ambiguity of disruptive industries, specifically in technology. And so I think being well-read is something that everyone should do if they can um, because it will already pay dividends in the future if you invest the time now. I agree. And another way to demonstrate that you're a lifelong learner and a productive person can be to do volunteer work. It's a way to broaden your horizon and your network and everything else. You mentioned your volunteer work, and um, mm-hmm. you put it on your LinkedIn profile. Can you can you tell us a little bit about what you've done as a volunteer and, and how you think it interacts with your career goals and your broader life goals? Absolutely, and I'm glad you asked that question, Bev, because I believe that this particular topic is not discussed enough. And, well, first, let me tell you about my passion. You know, growing up, uh, as a young man, you know, I didn't have the highest level of confidence, Bev, and luckily my parents had the foresight uh, to use music and the arts as a way for me to find my voice. And uh, I started piano training at eight years old, and then I evolved to playing the bass guitar and the drums, and uh, I had a platform of being able to use these talents specifically through church and the band in high school and then coming to Howard, um, you know, it was a great opportunity for me to play for the community choir, which is a a legendary historic uh, gospel choir at Howard University, and then take side gigs, you know, at churches around the city to, to earn a living for a poor college student. But because of that, I'm very passionate about the arts and what it does for our communities globally. And so 
to that end, you know, I'm on the board of Step Africa, which is the premier African-American dance company dedicated to the art of stepping. I'm an inaugural board member, young patrons board member for the arena stage, a legendary theater here in the Washington arena. Um, and I'm a part of a community-based organization called Starting With Today that provides access uh, to the unseen populations in Washington and, and Maryland communities that are looking for professional financial and mental wellness support. And so the reason I do all this is because of my personal story and my, my disposition to give back. But from a career management perspective, Bev, it's a great thing because it gives you something in common with people that you may not know. And board service is a great conduit to not only intentional learning, right? Knowing how to govern a nonprofit entity, but also gives you a reason to interact with people that are far outside your scope. I'll share with you, um, Step Africa had a legendary three-rig one off Broadway last November, and the people I was able to meet through my fundraising activities and networking opportunities for this particular organization has been dynamic. And so now with respect to what we talked about previously about Washington ecosystem, you're seeing the people that you regularly interact with personal board service and nonprofit volunteerism is a way to not only increase your mental capacity, but expand your network into things that are passionate that you're passionate about with people that you would never come across. And so it's something that I encourage people in town to consider, whether it's volunteering for their church or a health cause or a personal reason, because uh, as you see, especially the larger the organizations are, they have great impact around the world. And so being able to participate in that and reach out to people for a 5K or for a gala or a dinner is a way to extend your reach and accelerate your learning, which is something I feel is not often discussed. I think you make so much sense. And I notice uh, among clients and just people I bump across that if you're passionate, if a person is passionate about the things they do in their free time, if they're learning and engaging with new thoughts when they're not at the office, they bring everything to their work, and that can really charge up your creativity, your mm-hmm. ability to innovate. If if your brain is engaged in the arts and in um, meeting new kinds of people, it's it's terrific for for your productivity. But on the uh, back to the um, idea of putting your volunteer work on LinkedIn. Um, which I I noticed. I was noticing it partly because it was interesting to find out what you're doing, but also that as an expert, you're saying, yes, it's it makes sense to um, mention your volunteer work on, on your resume or your LinkedIn profile. I think sometimes people are a little reluctant to do it, but you're saying put it there because it it's partly an expression of who you are. Is that right? It is, Bev, and I'll share with you there's a lot of philosophies in town about the use of social media and LinkedIn. In my view, LinkedIn is the most underutilized brand and contact management tool in all of technology. There's assumptions that happen when people use the platform of LinkedIn that 
I'm using it to get a job or, you know, I'm using it to read up on articles. But if you think about it, it's a great way to inform passive audiences on the great things that you're doing, whether it's at work, whether it's in your volunteerism, whether it's um, something that you wrote, an article, a thought leadership piece. It's a great way to keep in touch with not only people that you know, but also passive audiences so they can get a, a better sense of who you are. And when I sit down with and counsel job seekers, Bev, I ask them this question. I say, if you take out your phone and just say you have a thousand contacts, on average, how many of those contacts do you actually pick up and call? And usually the response, Bev, is in between 2 to 5%. Yeah. And LinkedIn is a great medium to keep in touch with someone without having to pick up the phone and call, whether it's sending somebody a, an email to say, hey, it was great to catch up with you at this event. Or if you can be present with respect to your career management, it's a way to facilitate introductions and bring people together. Also, it's a great way to show people what you think. I just wrote an article today advising government affairs professionals and Hill staff on how to operate during the midterms. And so it's something that I feel that executives should take a second look and figure out how they can use this very widely accepted technology medium of LinkedIn to extend their presence and their network, if you will. We'll be back with Bev after this brief message. Are you ready to make a difference in the world? The Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University can give you the skills to do just that. The school offers a multidisciplinary approach where public policy, environmental studies, and entrepreneurship come together to educate tomorrow's leaders. Learn more about the Masters in Public Administration or Environmental Studies by visiting ohio.edu backslash Voinovich School. So let's say you have a job seeker who is um, a strong candidate but just starting to, to think about a search and is asking your advice and you look at their profile and you see they maybe have 50 or 100 contacts on LinkedIn and they haven't really done much and they're a little nervous about trying. How would you suggest mm -hmm. that, that a potential job candidate starts the effort of making themselves searchable, making themselves show mm -hmm. up on LinkedIn? What's a good beginning? Yeah, yeah. Well, a couple of things. Again, this goes back to me understanding that career management and job seeking is one of the most human things that we can do. So you have to have a bit of grace. And everyone is not going to be as active as I am on LinkedIn. So let's just start with the first. The first is ensuring that you have exemplary work performance. And I know you've heard me say that before, but if it's not there, it's something that you should strive for is exemplary work performance. 
and in turn, figuring out how to share some of the good things that you're doing at work and outside of work. There are a lot of organizations that already use LinkedIn as a communications medium, just as easy as sharing a, uh, I guess, a community or philanthropic post from your company and saying that you're proud to work for an organization. It's little things like that. Um, or, you know, ensuring that you're looking at the content and either sharing it or making a small comment to ensure that you're active in your particular industry medium. And then thirdly, just figure out what is most comfortable for you, right? And uh, every one size doesn't fit all with respect to using this technology platform, but thinking about what good it can do in the future, especially your prudent question about if I want to switch industries. Well, LinkedIn makes it very easy communicate with people that you can potentially learn from or engage with, especially if you're out networking and figuring out to say, hey, we'll love to follow up for a cup of coffee or you hear of an interesting event and you remember that you met that person two months ago, you dropped the ball, forgot to email them. It's very easy to say, go on LinkedIn and say, hey, we met a couple months ago at this event here's something interesting that I'm attending, wanted you to know in the event that you wanted to join. Communication like those, Bev, are so great because even if the person doesn't respond, they remember that you sent them something should you run into them in the future. So it's taking it step by step, knowing who you are and understanding that if used correctly, it will reap rewards. Well, you and I are a little bit of an example of people who connected partly through LinkedIn. I had heard your name, as I said earlier, I've heard your name from, for years because when people are thinking about making a shift, they think, I wonder if I could get an appointment with him, meaning you. But we met in person because we were both panelists on a, a panel about how to improve business outcome outcomes by accelerating diversity and inclusion. And I was really impressed and with what you had to say. And so I, I think I reached out to you afterwards. And I, of course, I went to LinkedIn and I read some of the things you'd written. And I followed up and we've messaged through LinkedIn. And because we had that occasion, I heard your name. But LinkedIn is a gentle way. If you had not been interested, if you've been too busy, you could just have emailed or uh, messaged back thanks. But we kind of got to know each other a little bit using LinkedIn as a as a tool and um, also seeing that we have some shared interest. Is that is that a good example? It's a great example. And I'll share with you, you know, I, in my mind, have been thinking about, you know, collecting a lot of this content and putting on a podcast myself. And prior to our panel discussion, uh, Bev, you have been talking. You talked to me about your journey into this uh, into this media and um, intentional learning is the basis of that. And so, this is my first very podcast, right? And it happened because we were able to not only connect through a mutual friend and colleague on a panel, but we use LinkedIn as a medium to stay in contact. And so, 
uh, our example is evidence that it doesn't take a lot of effort. It just takes the right effort to build relationships of mutual benefit. Yeah, and I think we, you and I have sort of um, an implicit deal. This is how this happens. We kind of share interest, and I know that you're starting to explore podcasts and things like that. I'd be happy to visit with you about that. And you know that I'm going to be in touch to ask your advice sometimes about how um, search processes work and and right. those kind of things. And so we'll stay in touch on, on these issues. And LinkedIn is an easy way to, to do that. Absolutely, it is. Well, let me ask, um, I think our time is about up, but I, I just want to ask if you have any final um, suggestions or inspiration or hints for listeners who may be just starting to think about their next job search. Do you have any um, um, suggestions about how to begin that process? Absolutely. And, you know, this can be applied to executives in Washington or throughout your listener population. You know, when candidates and job seekers come to me, Bev, and ask for advice, I give them this counsel, you know, if the world was perfect, what would you do? And the basis for asking that question, Bev, is to give the job seeker license to be very thoughtful and broad about what it is in their perfect world. And then you write it down. Um, and those things are your North Star, okay? And once you have a thoughtful list of the one to two things you want to do in your perfect world, you can structure your time and efforts to building towards that North Star. And that's inclusive of the things that you do in work, the additional projects that you take on, how you spend your time between 5 and 9 p.m. after work, your volunteerism and nonprofit board service, all of those decisions can be attributed to reaching your North Star. A lot of times in Washington, in this ecosystem, we have a lot of unsolicited advice from a number of people that we work with and think that they know your life and your trajectory better than you do. And so it's important to the listeners that to cancel out the noise, censor yourself, think about what you really want to do and why, articulate that beast clear and specific as possible, then arrange your time and life and decisions on reaching your North Star. Well, that is excellent advice. And um, to say goodbye, I want to thank you and also uh, wish you all the best. You're following your North Star with your new job. It sounds like a wonderful opportunity to build something, and I wish you well with it. Well, Beth, thank you for the time uh, I've come to enjoy Jazz About Work. And this is a developmental opportunity for me being on a podcast. And so I appreciate you know your friendship and your investment in me to share something positive and interesting to your listeners. Today, we've been talking with Conrad Woody, one of Washington's top headhunters and a guy who knows what it takes to prepare for and launch a successful job search. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. 
Adam Rich is our audio engineer. I'm your host, Beverly Jones, author of Think Like an Entrepreneur, Act Like a CEO. Today's career tip is that finding new ways to succeed in your current job can help you attract opportunities for your next move. If you're starting to think about what you want next, don't slack off. Now's the time to work at your top capacity. Look for ways to grow your day job and make an effort to raise your profile. If you have comments or suggestions for great guests for our show, we'd love to hear from you. Please email me directly at beverlyejones at me.com. That's B-E-V-E-R-L-Y-E-J-O-N-E-S at M-E dot com.